Well, I know that we're out of the, um, technically out of the period of uh, national mourning uh, for Her Majesty the Queen, but I think we're still just sort of processing, aren't we, really? I don't know about you, but I've been sort of just still thinking through really what it means that um, uh, the Queen has gone. One of the things that I've been sort of struck by, that I've been pondering, is that we've lost someone who, right at the centre of our national life, who had faith. The Queen's faith. You know, it's one of the things that have been so striking. Everybody's been talking about it, haven't they? People, whether they're Christian or not, is that they can't help but notice that the Queen was somebody for whom their faith was so important. It was central and integral to her life. It wasn't just a nominal faith, it was a real faith. A living faith, a vibrant faith, and she inherited this title, um, the defender of the faith, which I think was so fitting, wasn't it? And the Queen's faith, what does that mean? Well, what is faith? Uh, It's something we perhaps just talk about without ever really stopping to think. Um, We're, as I said, working our way through Luke's gospel at the moment, and Luke, uh, if you ever take the time to read his gospel front to back, which if you've never done, I wholeheartedly recommend taking the time to do that. Take a couple of hours. It would be a very rewarding thing to do. And if you did read all the way through Luke's gospel, you'd realise that faith uh, is a central theme. In fact, he tells us at the beginning of his gospel, that's the entire point of writing it in the first place. Uh, He says that lots of people have written, taken to, uh, to write down what Jesus did, like Matthew, Mark and John. But I also decided to undertake to write down an orderly account so that you may know the certainty of the things that you've been taught. He wants us to have faith in the Lord Jesus. Uh, and as you sort of work your way through um, uh, what, what he says, it says that, um, uh, uh, you know, if you come across uh, chapter 7, Jesus meets the centurion, and he, sa- he pays me a compliment. He says, surely I've not found such great faith anywhere in Israel. Uh, but then the next chapter, chapter 8, he rebukes the disciples for their lack of faith. You know, it's, uh, he calms the storm because they're so scared. And he, he says, come on, where's your faith? And then towards the end of the gospel, he prays. He tells Simon Peter he'd been praying for him. And he says, I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. How lovely is that, that Simon Peter knew the Lord Jesus had prayed for his faith. Well, what is Faith. Um, it's, it's defined um, elsewhere in the Bible as the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. That's what the book of Hebrews says. Being sure about the things you're hoping for and convinced about the things you can't see. Either because they haven't happened yet, they're in the future, they're the things hoped for, or something we haven't got the whole picture about. And actually, that is um, uh, not necessarily, it doesn't have to be irrational, um, even you know, if you think about it, there's plenty of things that we can't see the whole picture on, all that haven't happened yet, but nevertheless, we're still pretty confident that's the way it's going to work out. Uh, I've never seen Mount Everest, but yeah, I believe it's there. Very reliable people have told me it is, and so I trust that it is, uh, even though I haven't seen it. Um, so Jesus is talking about faith in these verses, and there are two surprises. I mean, the key verse is really these verses 5 and 6. And there are two surprises in there that really surprised me as I was reading this, and which I think we can learn something from this morning. Two points I want to make. Two things to take away. And the first is, it doesn't really matter how much faith you've got. That's not the important thing. And secondly, faith can achieve the impossible. It doesn't matter how much faith you've got, but faith can achieve the impossible. So first of all, it doesn't matter how much faith you've got. Have a look at verse 5. 
And the question the apostles ask the Lord Jesus is, they, want, they say to him, increase our faith. They want more. They've got some faith, and they say, well, can you increase the amount of faith which we've got? Which is, I think, quite interesting, because you'd have thought, you know, if anyone's got faith, you'd have thought the 12 apostles, you know, you're the 12 apostles. Haven't you got, you know, more faith than any of us? But nevertheless, they wanted more faith. And I suppose possibly we might as well. We might be sitting here thinking, well, I haven't got very much faith. Maybe I'd quite like more. And it's an interesting question as to whether the amount of faith is the key thing. Is it the case that what was so good about the Queen's faith was the quantity? And Jesus seems to say, no. It really doesn't matter how much faith you've got. Size doesn't matter. So here I've got some mustard seeds. Here we go. So now I had to bring the whole jar, because if I was going to just put one in my pocket, I probably wouldn't be able to find it, or it would slip through, my se- through the seam of my trousers. Um, here is a mustard seed. Can everyone see that? No, obviously you can't. That's the whole point. It is, in fact, I'm struggling to hold it in such a way that you might even get a glimpse of it. It's tiny. And I was, I, I got hold of some mustard seeds this week, and I thought, right, you know, why has Jesus, Jesus chosen this as his illustration or his analogy? And I held it in my hand this week, and I thought, now, is there some hidden meaning I'm missing here? You know, what, what is going on here? And I think, no, it's not. It's pretty obvious why he's chosen a mustard seed. You couldn't think of anything smaller. It's basically the smallest thing. I mean, maybe a grain of sand is smaller, but to be honest, there wouldn't be much in it. It is absolutely minuscule. And Jesus is saying, actually, the point must surely be Size doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much faith we've got. It's not the amount of faith that matters. It's what the faith is in. It's what our faith is in, which is what counts. Now, imagine two people on a plane to New York. They're trying to fly to New York. And the first man is incredibly nervous. So um, he's a very, very nervous flyer. In fact, he's never flown before because he's so nervous. But he has to get on this plane. And so he has arrived at the airport hours earlier than he needs to. He's read everything about the aircraft to make sure that it's definitely going to be trustworthy. He's gone through security as soon as they'll let him. And he's sort of steeling himself to board the plane. He's had a gin and tonic to kind of calm his nerves. And he's required reassurance from the airport staff that, no, 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 it's all going to be okay. And he's braced himself. And he's gone and he's stepped foot on the plane. And he's listening to every single word of the safety briefing because he wants to make sure he hasn't missed anything. And he's trembling, and the the aeroplane has taxied down the runway, and it's just taken off into the air. And he's done it. He's on the plane. But imagine the second man uh, is a frequent flyer. They're not phased at all by flying. They're quite used to getting on an aeroplane. And so his taxi swings into the airport with only minutes to spare. He's so confident, he swaggers through the concourse, through security, um, and, you know, flashes his... Um, boarding pass at the gate, just as they're calling last, you know, final boarding for the aeroplane. He's the last one to get on the plane, bag in the overhead locker, plonks himself down in the seat, doesn't listen to the safety briefing because he's heard it a hundred times before, he's tapping away doing his emails, taxis down the runway, takes off into the air, and he realises he's on the wrong plane. (laughs) Surely, it doesn't matter how confident you are in the aeroplane, the first man, he, he almost turned around and went home. He only got on that plane with a minuscule mustard seed-like amount 
of confidence that that plane was going to do what he hoped it would. And the second man was incredibly confident, but all of his faith was misplaced, wasn't it? But what matters is not how much faith we've got, but what or who our faith is in. And the, the queen knew that Jesus Christ is more faithful than any Boeing 747 uh, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. He'll never let us down. In fact, one time she said, quite recently, she said over the course of her life, she said she's been grateful for his steadfast love. I have seen his faithfulness. That's why she put her faith in. Now, the reality is that all faiths actually are not necessarily equal. <laughs> it doesn't really matter. It's not one of these cases of, you know, it doesn't really matter which plane you're on as long as you're on a plane. Because actually they're not all necessarily going to the same destination. You know, if our faith was in financial security, well, it might have taken a bit of a hit this week, mightn't it? But what counts is not the strength of our faith, but the object of our faith. And that's the first surprise I think about what Jesus says here. I think it's so encouraging, don't you? Sitting here this morning, I don't know how much faith you've got. Jesus says, even a mustard seed, that's all you need. Well, second surprise, faith is able to achieve the impossible. Have a look at verse 6. So they say, increase our faith. He replies, verse 6, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea. That's impossible, isn't it? The, um, the, the, The house I grew up in had a mulberry tree. I know all about mulberry trees. We used to make mulberry ice cream, which is absolutely amazing. And mulberries got everywhere. When the mulberries fell off the tree, all of our shoes had red juice all over them for whatever the time of year was. I mean, it, and, a, and a mulberry tree, if you know about mulberry trees, it's a great big sprawling thing. It's constantly putting out a new thing over there and you've got to prop it up. And, you know, the trees, you know, branches are, whatever the roots are underground is what's... So they're, they're, they're sprawling roots, and they say, apparently even in ancient sort of times, the mulberry tree was famed for having a really complicated root system that was so deeply entrenched and so entangled. And so basically you'd struggle to imagine a tree that was more difficult to uproot. So why is Jesus saying this? I mean, what, does he want us really to go around uprooting mulberry trees? I've never seen anybody do that. Is he trying to put tree surgeons out of business? Um, you know, by uh, all the Christians are going to go around, you know, commanding the arboretum to kind of go over into the ocean I I don't think he's sort of saying this is literally what we're supposed to be doing the mulberry tree being uprooted is a picture of something incredibly difficult even impossible being accomplished by faith and Jesus says that faith no matter how small even that tiny little seed is able to do the most extraordinary to be uproot that which is deeply deeply entrenched and entangled like what? Like what impossible? We might be sitting there thinking, go on, what can faith do that's, that's impossible? Well, actually, uh, quite a lot of things. But there are two examples, practical examples, given in the rest of this conversation. So we've been zooming in on verse 5 and 6. Zoom out to the rest of the conversation. And Jesus is talking um, about two very, very practical things. First of all, service in the verses immediately following 5 and 6. And secondly, forgiveness in the verses immediately preceding. So first of all, service. Um, he has this whole thing about a servant. Shouldn't the servant do what it's supposed to do? And faith is able to enable us to serve the Lord Jesus 
all the way to the end of our life. And the, and the, the, the conversation concludes in this verse 10. I love it. Verse 10, I've underlined it in my Bible. It's such a lovely verse, don't you think? Verse 10. So you also, Jesus says, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We've only done our duty. After we've done everything, we should just say, we've, we've done our duty. Now, I don't know about you, but I've seen so many Christians give up or stop being a Christian. Or you know, if Paul says elsewhere, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. But so many people don't finish. They throw in the towel or they fall over before the finish line. But the queen didn't, did she? You know, she just kept going all the way to the end. As she said at the start, or near enough at the start of her race, in those words that we've been hearing over the last couple of weeks, haven't we? Those famous words she said, only 21 she was, she wasn't even queen yet. And she said, my life, whether it be long or short, is going to be devoted to service. To serving God and to serving you. Which is basically what Jesus told all of us to do, isn't it? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And to love your neighbour as yourself. What an impossible... How on earth did she keep that promise? She was only 21. She said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to serve. How? What an impossible thing to do. It's only possible by faith. And now she's saying verse 10. Don't you think? I hope it's not irreverent to say that. Have a look at verse 10. Can you imagine this is what the queen... Now she's entered the heavenly city. For the first time arriving in a new city, I suspect, without fanfare or red carpet being rolled down she's not the queen now she is in the presence of the king of kings and she has said verse 10 she's done everything she was told to do and now she's saying do you think she's saying this i'm an unworthy servant i've only done my duty isn't that extraordinary she kept her promise all the way to the end. How? By faith. A faith as small as a mustard seed. doesn't matter how much faith you've got. enable you to do that. Second practical example, forgiveness. Have a look at verse 3. Jesus says, if your brother or sister sins, forgive them. And then, verse 4, even if they sin against you seven times in a day, and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. I mean, that's ludicrous, isn't it? Can you imagine somebody sinning against you seven times in a single day and you forgive them for the same thing seven times? It's ridiculous. But Jesus is so serious about forgiveness, isn't he? It's the only thing in the Lord's Prayer with a condition attached to it. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Jesus says at the end of that, he says, if you don't forgive your brother or sister their sin, your sins will not be forgiven. That's strong medicine, isn't it? The thing is, though, forgiveness is impossible, isn't it? I speak to people all the time, and they say how hard it is. In fact, somebody said only the other week, when's, the sermon, when's there going to be a sermon about forgiveness? Because I find that really difficult. It's so hard because the roots go down, don't they? So deeply entangled sometimes, the things that we actually need to forgive. And that's why... Surely, so he says this, you must forgive them, Jesus says, verse 4. And then, verse 5, the apostles say to the Lord, oh, increase our faith. That's the reaction, because they say, well, we can't do that on our own. You're going to have to help us. And Jesus says, faith is the only thing that will do it. Even faith as small as a mustard seed. Faith in the knowledge that our sins have, in fact, been forgiven. 
That's the only thing with the leverage to be able to uproot that tree. Have you heard that thing about Corrie ten Boom famously forgiving the Nazi um, guard at the concentration camp? Corrie ten Boom was a Holocaust survivor. Her sister died in the concentration camp Ravensbrück. And she wrote in this extraordinary book, which everybody should read, called The Hiding Place, about her experience. And uh, at the end of it, there is an encounter. She then began, after the, whole, after the war, she went around preaching the gospel, telling everybody about the reconciliation and forgiveness that she had experienced. And Nazi guard, who had been in her concentration camp, came up to her after the service. And she said, let me read this. It was at a church service in Munich that I saw him, the former SS man who had stood guard at the shower room door at Ravensbrück. He was the first of our actual jailers that I'd seen since, and suddenly it was all there. The room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, Betsy, her sister's pain-blanched face. He came up to me as the church was emptying. I became a Christian after the war, he said. Your message about forgiveness touched me very much. You told about Camp Ravensbrook. I was a camp guard there. I've always wanted to ask forgiveness of someone personally. So I ask you, will you forgive me? She says, I felt my blood was freezing. There suddenly stands a man before me, co-responsible for the slow, horrible death of my dear sister. And he asks me, dares to ask me for forgiveness. All those beautiful sermons I preached about forgiveness. But now I had to forgive myself and I can't. And the man holds out his hand, but she won't take it. I pray softly to Jesus. I don't want this. You have to help me. And then I realise forgiveness is not an emotion. It is an act of the will. The feeling is not there, but if I can move my hand, and almost mechanically I place my hand in his, and something extraordinary happens, I suddenly feel a warm wave through my body, from my shoulder, through my arm, to our hands, I have to cry. I forgive you, brother. There we stood, the camp guard and the prisoner, and for a long time we held hands. And never before have I experienced the love of God so deeply. That's impossible, isn't it? Don't you want faith like that? Faith to do the impossible, faith to be able to forgive, faith to be able to finish the race, I do. But it doesn't matter how much faith we've got. It matters who our faith is in. Shall we pray?